Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Uh, Thank you for your word, which instructs us, which is a mirror to us, which reveals to us your goodness, your story, your hope, your salvation, your gospel. And Lord, we just thank you. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is present among us. And we just pray for uh, an increase of awareness of your spirit in our midst. And in our lives, Lord. And I pray, too, that you would just give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you'd have for us today. And uh, so we thank you for this time to just uh, rest in your word and uh, just be led by your spirit. And we we pray for that, Lord. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was thinking about this week, I was thinking of all of the advances in technology, all of the information that comes at us uh, week to week and uh, the things that crowd our lives in all kinds of ways and yet we're in the series called white space and it, it struck me that you know before there were smart smartphones before there was social media before there was google search before there was 24 7 connectivity to our work for so many people uh, before you had Two dozen coffee choices when you go there in the morning and you have to figure out even that, what you're going to do for the day. Um, All of these things, before all of these things were sort of inundating our lives, overwhelming the pace of our life, the information overload, the ability that we have to make decisions, before all of this, there were the Psalms. And there was these rich texts that have been given to us. And uh, I, I think of Psalm 90, and I know the Lifetime class was even looking at that today. Uh, as well too. And, and this was a psalm that, that God laid in my heart as I was thinking about our, our focus today that we'll, we'll get to in just a minute. But before all of this stuff that inundates us and overwhelms us, there was the psalms. And this Psalm 90 was actually written by Moses, who's the focus of this series. And so very appropriately so. And it's a psalm that talks about the brevity of life and God's view of time versus our view of time. And in there... Moses says this, he says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That cry of the Lord of, God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And it's just pointing us again to this truth that our days are so limited. And I know that for all of us, the older we get, the more we know that. The older we get, the more we know that our days truly are numbered. Our days truly are limited. We don't know how much time we have, but we know it's short. And we know that life goes incredibly fast. And really, this sentiment and this idea is at the, th- at, at the core of this sermon series of white space that we've been talking about in the last uh, couple of weeks, that our time here on earth matters, and that using our time to focus on what matters really matters. And so it's important that we assess and understand how it is that we use our time. It's important that we learn how to number our days, and also to assess our days. So in this series called White Space, we have been talking about the last couple weeks that that white space is this principle in graphic design that we need to allow room for things on a page. If you think about a white page, you have to have room on a page in order to actually see and have stand out what it is that is supposed to be dominant on the page. And those in graphic design know that you don't clutter and crowd in and sort of surround everything that's important on the page because then it gets lost in the clutter. And that principle and that truth, I think, is also very evident in our own lives. That our lives can be full of clutter and full of things that crowd in, full of things that press in, full of things that just sort of squeeze out 
the things that do really matter in our lives, that are really important, that God has uniquely wired us for, called us to, and we, the things that even we have right in front of us, as we talked about last week, and, and sometimes those things get lost in the fray. And so we need to pay attention to those things. How is it that we create more room for things that really matter? I think it was Craig Groeschel who said this, that if the devil can't make us really bad, then he'll just try to make us really busy. And in many ways, there is really a similar effect from those things. It, it kind of has the similar outcome. Um, and so it is true that if the enemy just wants to confuse our lives and get the church off track, just make people really busy and we'll lose sight of the things that really matter. And so we've been in uh, Exodus, and I'd encourage you to turn to Exodus. We're going to end up in Exodus chapter 18, and I want to just, uh, first of all, have us look back at chapter 4 for just a minute, because we're just looking at a, a couple of examples from the life of Moses through this series, and, and, and with three fundamental questions that have framed these three messages on white space of what's in your heart, what's in your hand, and today we're going to look at what's in your day. And so last week we looked at, at the question of what's in your hand, and we looked at Moses chapter 3 and 4, and his staff, the shepherd's staff, was the answer that he gave to God when he was, if you remember, he was sort of pushing back on God in the assignment that God was giving him and calling him to, to lead the people of Israel uh, out of their slavery. And, and Moses has all of these kind of pushbacks, and like, who am I, and how in the world could I do that? And God asks him the simple, profound question, what's in your hand? And it's a shepherd's staff and how God uses this simple thing, this ordinary thing for very un- or extraordinary purposes. And we talked last week about how God has the ability to take all of our past and all of our pain and all of our success and all of our experiences and all those things that we've come through in life and he can bring them forward into the present in order to change a very different future. And we saw that in the life of Moses and how the shepherd's staff rem- represented so profoundly what was in his hand. And his dual identity and all those things that he had come from in his upbringing and in his background that God was now going to use and bring forward for some greater purposes and for some really significant things that matter. Not only for the people of Israel, but for the world. So I want to just pick up on uh, in verse, chapter 4, verse 18, uh, which is just sort of a summary at the end of what we looked at last week and maybe leads us into some of what we're going to look at this week. And it says, so Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said this. He says, please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. And his father-in-law, Jethro, says, go in peace. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt, for all those who wanted you killed have now died. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he put them on a donkey, and he headed back to the land of Egypt. And in his hand, he carried the staff of God. So like I said, today we're going we're gonna to jump ahead to chapter 18. And between this statement and these verses in chapter 18, you know, if you know the story of Exodus, there is just so much that happens that is not the focus of today, but I want us to understand all that happened. Here in what I just read, Moses relents and he says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do this thing that you have called me to do. And he says, I'm going to go back to Egypt. And I'm going to lead the people in however you call me to lead. And if you remember, he was so unsettled by, will my people, the Hebrew people, even believe who I am and that I've been called by you, God? Let alone Pharaoh, who's now hopefully going to leave, let these people go. And if you remember the story, there's the ten plagues and all those things that happen. There's the, 
the final plague of the death of the firstborn son and the Passover uh, angel the, and, and how they took the blood of the lamb and they spread it on the doorposts of their Hebrew homes and how the, all those who had this blood on the doorposts, how the angel of death passed over their homes and didn't kill their children. And then how the people of Israel headed out from Egypt and they went away and how Moses led them through the Red Sea and part of the sea and went through the wilderness and all of these different things that have happened in these chapters that are in between. So significant. And they come to this place in the wilderness. And then in Exodus chapter 18, we see them in this place of Rephidim. Even though they've experienced all the miracles and all the great things that they have seen God do through Moses and through this shepherd's staff and symbolizing all of God's power and all of God's promise and what he was going to do through, through Moses and through a simple people. And they've landed now in Rephidim and they're in this place in the wilderness and they're struggling. And they're complaining. And there's no water there. And so they're crying out to God and actually they're crying out to Moses and Moses is crying out to God. And they're sort of complaining to Moses saying, you know, why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us to this place just to die? What's with that? And in Exodus chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, God does another miracle with this staff of Moses, and it describes it this way. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. And I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and the water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Another miracle. Another response of God showing that he is faithful. And and Moses, if you just walk in obedience, I will prove myself faithful again and again and again. And yet these people continued to struggle. They continued to believe that this was the living God who was going to rescue them. They continued to struggle to trust that God had something good in store for them. And so the complaining continues on. And they definitely had hardships coming their way. They definitely had challenges coming their way. There was no doubt. If you continue to read on at the end of chapter 17, there's that well-known great war story that happens. But they actually had people, their neighboring people, coming around and attacking them. The Amalekites who were coming and attacking their people. If you remember that story, in the end of chapter 17 is when Moses had to hold his hands with the staff of God in his hands above his head. And whenever he held his hands, and Aaron and Hur were there in the top of the mountain holding up his arms, and whenever that staff and his hands were held up high, how down below Joshua and the army were defeating the Amalekites. Winning this battle, winning this victory, because God, again, was showing Moses and his people that he can do extraordinary things through very ordinary means. So today we come to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to ask numerous questions again today. Questions are good for us. They cause us to think and to reflect deeply, and I want us to do that here today. And the primary question that we're asking today is, what's in your day? What's in your day? Moses was asked that question very pointedly by his father-in-law, Jethro. The psalmist in Psalm 90, Moses is reflecting on that, saying, how do we number our days and assess our days that we may gain wisdom. What does that look like? And what struck me this week, again, as I was preparing in this text, was this truth that how we spend our days and hours and minutes is actually how we spend our lives. 
And we often like to think, what's the legacy of our life? What is the legacy of what we will leave behind? And those that come after us, those that look at our lives, what is it that they will see as the legacy of our life? And the truth is, is that the legacy of our life is lived out in our days and hours and minutes. So we need to ask the question, how is it that we spend our day? What is it that is in our day? What is it that really matters? Because these are the things that become the legacy of our lives. I'll also just say that as I've been reflecting on this week and I've shared with a few people already this morning that, that uh, this message today becomes very personal for me as well too. I think I have been and I will be this morning preaching primarily to myself and allow others to just kind of listen in. I shouldn't be surprised that on a series of called White Space that I find myself just feeling in a season that is incredibly intense and full without a lot of space or room around the edges. And then you come to preach this thing and you go, okay, well, who am I? You know, and it's that thing I've talked about this with you before about gap control, right? Uh, gap control is, is, is managing that gap between what you speak and how you live. And it's really hard for preachers when you're up here on a Sunday morning and you preach in a certain way and you go, okay, how big is that gap between how I preach and how I live? And every one of us has to manage that gap. And so today my message is gap control for me, okay? So I'll just do a little bit of self-counseling here and you can listen in and you can make your own applications. But I just want you to know that I speak this as a fellow sojourner, wrestling through the implications of this, trying to live this out better. Because I think it's important stuff. I want to read uh, all of chapter 18. So for you, you may want to follow along on the slides or you may want to just close your eyes and listen to the story or follow along in your Bible. Uh, But I want to just read this great text. It's a text that's been used by so many over the years. It's a great leadership text. We'll see that. We'll talk about some things. But there's so much more that's going on here as well too. So Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Moses' first son was named Gershom. For Moses had said that when the boy was born, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. The second son was named Eleazar. For Moses had said, the God of my ancestors was my helper. He rescued me from the sword of Pharaoh. I love how they named their children after the things that had happened. I wonder what we would say if we did that. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. And he brought Moses' wife and two sons with him. And they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and he kissed them. And they asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses' father-in-law, Moses told his father-in-law everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and and Egypt on behalf of Israel. And he also told about all the hardships that they had experienced all along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. 
When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Point them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves, and they will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. Well, as I mentioned, this is a text that is a great leadership text and has been used in that way for centuries. There's all kinds of insights about delegation, discerning leaders, division of labor, listening to your father-in-law, all those things that we love to do. Jethro, he becomes a believer in this story. He says that he's the priest of Midian, but we don't exactly know what that means or what their exact faith was. But here in this story, we see that Jethro truly becomes a believer of the living God. He says, this God, Yahweh, this God of Israel, truly is who you say he is. And they worship together and they have this sacrificial meal. But then he also asks this critical question, this really hard question of Moses that cuts right to the core, the question that every leader of any kind needs to ask and ask often. And he says this, he says, what are you really accomplishing here? What is it that you are really accomplishing here? What is it that is actually getting done? No question that you're working hard, no question that there's lots of activity, no question that there's lots going on, but what is the result? What's being accomplished? What's the outcome? What's the impact of the activities of your days in terms of what really matters? That's what Jethro's asking of Moses. Great questions. Hard questions. Now before we pull out a few more things, I want to pull out some really specific things in this text. I want to make a a few comments about the word balance and about the concept of balance. And one that we might actually kind of look to and think about when we think about a series uh, on white space and this idea that that our life just needs to be balanced. If we get that figured out, then we've got it all figured out. And I would contend that it's a, it's a good word, but I would join with author Larry Osborne, who makes this statement, and I would agree that he says it's probably a word that is very overrated. You might even be able to argue that it's not really a biblical concept. At least not in the way that we think about it. In fact, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to see Scripture and... Uh, text in the Bible that points us to the importance of a balanced life. Most biblical heroes actually had very imbalanced lives. 
If you look at the Apostle Paul, you look at Peter, you look at Moses, you look at Abraham, you look at any of them. I mean, they had very imbalanced lives in so many ways. You would say their lives were wildly out of balance. Many of them probably needed counseling, life coaches, all kinds of things. So when we're juggling competing priorities, the ultimate goal isn't to be perfectly balanced. The ultimate goal is to fulfill God's calling without falling over. The ultimate goal of what God calls us to at the end of life, he's not going to ask us, did you live a balanced life? Was it perfectly balanced in terms of how you live? He's going to ask us questions of obedience and say, did you walk in obedience? Did you live out the calling faithfully that I had called you to do? And sometimes that requires a life that is out of balance, sometimes for an extended period of time. And you know that. So that's the question that I want us to wrestle with of what does it look like to not necessarily live a life of balance because balance isn't the goal. Just like as we talked about white space. White space is not the goal. That's not the point. The point is what's left. The point is what's in the middle. The point is what matters. The point is what's supposed to be front and center. So in a similar way, what what is required though is continual adjustment. And you know that when something's out of balance, you're continually adjusting, continually adjusting, continually assessing making assessments. And I think for all of us, we need to recognize that there are times in our lives, oftentimes most of our lives, that feel and are actually quite out of balance. But maybe we're not so far from the will of God. Maybe we're actually doing exactly what God has called us to do. I want us to wrestle with that today. And today we want to look at some further questions, deeper questions from this story. These four questions that we'll look at each individually. First of all, what season is it? Second of all, what unhealthy systems and patterns have I created? Third of all, who am I intentionally building into? And then fourthly, here's a hard one, what's the pruning that needs to happen in my life? Let's take these one at a time. What season is it? What season are we in in our lives? In the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes reminds us that things are not typically balanced in life, but that things typically do have a season. So the question is, is what what season are you in? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. You've probably heard this. It's been put to song a number of times, but it says it this way. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So even there in Ecclesiastes, the author is pointing to this fact that life is not lived in a perfect balance. Life is lived in seasons. And that there are different seasons where we are leaning very definitely in one direction or another. But we're called to constant adjustments and also to recognize that question of what season is it? What season of our life are we in? Moses had very significant seasons in his life. You could look at his life in three very distinct kind of broad segments or seasons, if you will. First of all, is the first third of his life, and they're actually almost in thirds of 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. The first third of his life was as the prince of Egypt, growing up in the household of Pharaoh. 
Probably a season predominantly of privilege and achievement. Middle third of Moses' life was a very different season. It was one of actually being an assistant shepherd out in Midian. Talk about a low calling. Talk about being insignificant. And I think that that was a season for Moses for a long period of time, those 40 years of solitude and insignificance. And then we come to the final third of his life, this last season which we see so much more recorded of and we know more about. That's what we see recorded in Scripture. But we forget that there are these other seasons of his life. But here in this season of his life, he is called to faith, humility, and obedience. And all of these incredible things that he does in the hands of God of leading the people of Israel through the wilderness and into the promised land. So he's in a very intense season. He led these people out of slavery and firmly settled in the wilderness. Now, despite all the miracles, things are not going well. He's com- there's complaining going on. There's t- attacks from neighboring countries. Likely one of the loneliest seasons in his leadership life. In fact, he was so busy that he sent his family away. He didn't have time for them. Had no time for them. In fact, his father-in-law has to bring his family to him. Here's your wife and children, by the way. Let me introduce you. Bit of an indicator that it wasn't sustainable. Second question, what unhealthy systems or patterns have I created? You know, the important part of this question is that we need to own it. I think oftentimes we can blame other people, blame the circumstances, blame our context, blame whatever. But we have to ask the question, what are the unhealthy patterns or systems that I have created? Because regardless of the season, there's always things that we can do that matter for the kingdom of God. There's also things that can just add to the clutter of our lives. And sometimes we create the very systems that drown us. It seems like Moses did. You read in Moses, or sorry, Moses, Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, it describes his day. It says, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning until evening. You think you have a bad job, you know, just compare to some people. This is not a great job at a shooting range. In many ways, this is sort of the job that Moses had, right? He would, he would sit there on his chair, and all these people would come, and they would just bring their disputes to him, and he would sit there and adjudicate. That's what it says in Exodus 18, verse 13. That's what he did. They waited before him from morning until evening. I mean, talk about dismal work. But here's what's interesting to me. It seems like this was self-inflicted for Moses. It seems like these were the systems and patterns that he had established and created and put in place Jethro looks at this and he says, the great question, what are you really accomplishing here? Like, what is it that you're doing? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? He developed these systems that really just entrenched his loneliness. You read in verse 15, when I read this, I just kind of put on a little bit of a whiny voice. And if you listen to Moses in his whiny voice, it kind of sounds different. But Moses, or Jethro asks him these questions and here's, Moses' answer, he goes, well, I'm doing this because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. And when a dispute arises, they come to me. And I'm the one who has to settle the case before the quarreling parties. And I'm the one who has to inform these people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. It's like, oh, man, look at me. Look what I have to do here in this setting. And all this responsibility and all this weight that's on me. Jethro says to him, you need to create some new systems and structures that actually create an environment for growth, that's sustainable for you and actually helps your people. What are the patterns of systems in your life that lead to this? What are the patterns and systems in your life that have led to no white space? 
No ability to actually create room for the things that matter. Third question that I think comes out of this text is, who am I intentionally building into? Question that we need to be asking as we think about creating space in our day. It's a question of multiplication. Who is it that I'm intentionally building into? And Jethro points him to this solution. He says, you need to do this differently. You're going to wear yourself out. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle alone. You need to have uh, more people involved. Continue being the representative before God and having people bring your disputes to you. But you need to teach some people to do the very same thing. So here's Moses. He's got a very significant role right now. He's actually imparting the laws of God into the hearts of people. You flip over two chapters, Exodus 20, you see the Ten Commandments. So this is before even receiving the Ten Commandments. So Moses is is helping the people understand the laws of God in very practical ways of here's how you live as you walk as a believer of God. And and so he's teaching them, but he's doing it all by himself. And then now Jethro says to him, he says, you need to multiply yourself. You need to find some good quality men of integrity who can actually do this with you and appoint them to 1,150 and 10 You need to equip others, multiply yourself, release more gifts to other people. Coming to the New Testament, you see in Ephesians 4, where it says those who do the work of the ministry don't just do the work of the ministry. Because you need to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Very similar principle, that you need to model it. You need to be doing the work of the ministry, but you need to be multiplying yourselves. And that's true for every one of us, especially those of us who are involved in the paid work of the ministry. It's like, how are we multiplying ourselves and equipping others for the work of the ministry? The question we need to continually ask ourselves to model it and to multiply. That's what Moses is being challenged to here as well, to create the space in his life that actually impacted others. And then the fourth and final question is, what's the pruning that needs to happen? What's the pruning that needs to happen? Even if Balance is not the goal and that faithfulness is the goal. We do have to ask the question, is there anything that is so out of balance that it's beginning to harm my health, relationships, or my walk with God? In other words, is it crowding out the things that really matter in life? Moses could have ticked off every one of these boxes, impacting his health, his relationships, and his walk with God. So for every one of us as well, too, we have to ask the question, what Not only what season are we in, what systems have we created, but what is it that needs to be pruned from our lives? Because we see how God has created nature, that that seasons have times of dormancy and times of growth. And pruning is needed. Old things have to end. Old things have to be let go of. In fact, for something new to grow and something new to emerge, we have to allow those old things to die and to let go of them. Without the ability to end things, people stay stuck. They stay in a place with no space for God to do new new things. Sometimes things need to die and sometimes they need to be killed. Pruned out of our lives and taken out in different ways to allow for new growth. I think this text teaches us so profoundly and convicts us so deeply that we need constant adjustments in our lives. Part of that is making endings normal called pruning. One of the normal rhythms of life. And if all we do is add and never prune, we'll never have the white space to recognize what really matters. Because, you see, even healthy plants, even very healthy plants, just as Jesus taught in John's Gospel, he says even very healthy plants will always grow so much that they will have actually more buds than will ever be sustainable. So even something that is extraordinarily healthy has to be pruned in order for it 
to be sustainable and for it to truly grow and reach the potential that it was intended for. So Moses' hard assessment was given to him by Jethro and asked him, what's in your day? What is it that you're really accomplishing here? What is it that needs to change? I think the question that God would ask of us as well is, what will our minutes and our hours and our days reveal is the legacy of our lives? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these challenging words that you gave through Jethro, through this book that records the life of Moses here. These powerful, challenging, convicting words. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that would learn to number our days that we may gain the heart of wisdom. And Father, help us to be people that assess and not only assess, but also that make continual adjustments when we, lead, when we recognize that our lives are so far out of balance that something needs to happen. But God, I also pray in the midst of this that we will also recognize what's in our hand and the things that you have uniquely called us to that will mean that our, our life won't be a life of perfect balance because that's not the goal. But it'll be a life that is pointed and leaning in a certain direction because of how you've made us and how you've called us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find our way in this. Help us to not do it alone, but to encircle ourselves with other people, equip others, multiply ourselves in that way. Help us to be ones who recognize where there needs to be pruning in our life. And Lord, for those who are in a difficult season right now, I just pray for your comfort and your wisdom and your peace. But God, also the conviction and the insight of knowing what it is that we need to do, how it is that we need to respond, how it is that you're calling us to adjust in this season right now. So Lord, we thank you for your guidance and your leading through your Holy Spirit that help us to take texts like this and make applications in our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.